Hello and welcome to another extra special, extra wonderful, spectacular, amazing. Oh God, can we gotta climb this fucking mountain? Oh God. <laughs> oh, we're here. Oh Jesus. Episode of Normandy FM. <laughs> Final the episode Fantasy nobody wanted to be here for. Oh yeah. This is it's been a while since we haven't had a guest, Ken. It's just mm-hmm. you, Kenneth Shepard, and me, Eric Van Allen, sitting here to talk about Mount Gagazet. <laughs> mm. I mean, we knew this was coming, right? We, it's not even, mm, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, it's not even like this is necessarily a bad segment of the video game uh, Final Fantasy X. It's actually a pretty good section mm-hmm. overall. Uh, I enjoyed my time with it. That being said, this is the roadblock of Final Fantasy X. Mm. Widely this, regarded as the hardest segment of the game. Yeah, yeah. When I was looking up guides earlier today, because I was like, between Seymour Flux and Sanctuary Keeper, I was stuck here for a very, very long mm-hmm. time when I was younger. Uh, when I was looking guides up, it was like, yeah, no, this is straight up the hardest part of the game. <laughs> like, yeah. there's, there's no question. Um, and I would... You know, granted, we have not played all the way to the end of this game yet, but I will just say that I feel inclined to agree uh, mm-hmm. just from what we played. Right. So I guess we should start there. Well, we got to get some things out of the way first, right, Ken? Mm-hmm. You know, it's it feels weird. I'm so used to it, it, it being, you know, this is where we intro a guest. This mm-hmm. is where we get them settled in. We get them acclimated with you, the listener. And we've got none of that this week because it's just you and me again. It's been so long. I don't know what to do with myself. Yeah, I was honestly surprised like nobody wanted to come on for this, like for the sake of like the catharsis of being mad about it or like, <laughs> you know, like usually we've had people that come on and they don't like the segment that they're yeah. here to talk about, but that is like the thing they came on to do. They wanted to be angry or upset about something, and. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I guess not react that it's just something that nobody really wants to have to recount. But we have to do it because it's the format of the show. All, our, our thoughts and prayers are with those actually playing along with us. Uh, you know, all of you who are playing the game along with us, this is a welcome to the Thunderdome, you know? Because <laughs> this, <laughs> is, this is it. It's also, it's maybe, I, I will say two things at the front about this. Number one, Ari said that I think this is a section that is actually very good. Um, Writing-wise, especially, there are parts of this that I did not remember that I liked as much as I, I did, especially around uh, Yuna as a character. Mm. I think Yuna gets good spotlight here. I think Oren gets good spotlight here. Uh, Kimari obviously gets good spotlight here. Uh, and there's notably very little Waka. Mm. <laughs> but also, the, the other weird thing about this section is... It's just, it, it's the moment where you realize that this game is going to go open world, I think, because it's not long after this that we do get our ability to travel back to mm-hmm. other parts of Spira. Mm-hmm. And it is so bizarre to think back on the days of the RPGs where you would get to the end of the game and then get the ability to go back to other parts of the game. Mm-hmm. And there's something about the way this section ends with such forward momentum. And then I'm thinking the whole time we're not going to the end. We're going to the airship. Right. <laughs> um, so it's an interesting, it's an interesting pacing that we have. And we start off with weird pacing too, because even though we're leaving Makalania and headed towards Mount Gagazet, which is the next stop on our way 
uh, to Xanarkand, which is the end of the pilgrimage, uh, we've got to go through the calm lands first. And this is just one big old patch of grass, Ken. Mm-hmm. It's one big old patch of grass. It's not yep. a lot here. Like I have like it has like a really important like narrative weight to it, but oh yeah, just like as a a stretch of game, it is just this long flat surface that we have to get from one end to the other. And and they they at least you know put some things in the middle of it to kind of not make it feel like one long walk of one giant expanse to the other. Uh, you know, so we have another Belgamine fight about halfway through. Oh, I fucking uh, missed her. I did not see her. <laughs> I think you can go back because if I think the fight here is optional and the only thing you miss is getting the Aeon soul, which is lets you spend uh, spheres and stuff to level the stats of your Aeons. Mm. But as we're going to be discussing pretty soon at this point, Aeons are overdrive machines. Mm-hmm. They just exist to throw at bosses mm-hmm. uh, in rapid succession as giant like bits of DPS. And I think we have passed the point where Aeons are going to be a cool, interesting gameplay function. And instead they're just going to be big bricks of damage that Yuna can send out. Like, Mm -hmm. like, like she's Pokemon trainer from smash ultimate, like throwing them out there. (laughs) Mm. Uh, yeah, the Belgamine fight is also, this was the only one I've won so far. And it's Mm. honestly a really, really easy fight. I use, uh, she uses Shiva, uh, mm, okay. and Shiva did very little damage to my... I sent out Ixion. I didn't even use Bahamut. I was like, I'll try with Ixion first, and if Ixion goes down, I always have Bahamut in the back. And Ixion handled it, because her Shiva doesn't even have an overdrive like Isaru's uh, mm. Aeons did. Like, there's just no overdrive or anything. It's It has a gauge that builds up but it'll use the heavenly dust or something which is mm. the the special attack uh that's it so you just had to block every like 10 turns or so and even then only did like double digits of damage so mm. i was like okay i <laughs> guess i win this one i felt like belgamine went easy on me but uh we'll be seeing her again at some point when we get to the side quest section of this game so we'll we'll be checking back in mm. but for the most part, uh, the big part of the Calm Lands is we we stop about halfway in and a dude named Father Zook shows up. Uh, we've never, we, the player, have not seen this character at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but he shows up to tell us that, hey, uh, Yevon is blaming Kenok's murder on y'all. And Maester Micah has issued a personal order that... Uh, the that Yuna and her guardians be killed on site. And he basically is like, hey, don't go to temples. Um, you're being chased. Like people are looking for you. Uh, you know, maybe just keep to yourself and also like Yevon itself is in disarray. Uh Kelk Ronso left after the murder of Maester Kenok. Uh and the whole place is just falling apart. So mm-hmm. That's some good news, at least. <laughs> and uh, it seems and like there's at least some level of doubt starting to spread through Spear because, like, Father mm-hmm. Zook, like, you know, he's a person that's, like, supposed to be an official within Yevon, and he's like, hey, I'm here to warn you, and I'm just going to turn around and look the other way. And so that was that was a nice touch. 
I forget which section it is because throughout this whole thing, we have several points where you walk into an area and your party members can kind of scatter out to different uh, areas and you can go talk to them individually. But at one of them, I think in Mount Gagazette, when we actually get to the the summit or, or the base of the mountain, uh, Oren says something about that where he says like Yevon's in disarray and, and Titus is like, oh, I bet you're happy about that or whatever. Like, that's great. And Oren's like, not it's not great for the people of Spira mm. because this thing that has served as their like structure and form for years is falling apart around them. And it, it was a moment where I stopped and thought, oh, right, like the temples, like towns are built around the temples and around the pilgrimage mm. and supplies are likely, you know, guarded by Yevon guards and things like that. Like there's a lot of day-to-day stuff that is mm-hmm. probably closely tied into Yevon that right. if that falls apart suddenly many more questions come up about how does that affect day-to-day life right and, and I think it's something like this game doesn't really get to but I also I don't think it has to really address is it like no no as soon as this is all as soon as we're done doing what we're going to do in this game this world is going to be fundamentally different and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's something that this game never like doesn't really ever like by the time the story is done, it doesn't have to go back to that. It's like you are supposed to just kind of like be content knowing this world is different. Where that gets that's mm-hmm. like a core pillar of Ten Two is that like you got yeah. this world trying to like find some level of structure and identity again, and that's something that they can only really they only really hint at here, and it isn't conversations like with Willem Dorn. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, we'll get into more of that as as you said in Ten Two where we'll get to see that world be lived in. I kind of like that structure, to be honest. And I think that's one of Tentu's strong suits, but mm. we'll, we, we will get there. Um, as we continue to make our way through the calm lands, which is just one giant, giant thing. I, I didn't even go over to the arena yet because I was not like feeling ready to start engaging with that mini game at all, where you can kind yeah. of catch fiends and train them. It's such like a, a a piece of this game I've never really bothered to engage mm-hmm. with. And there, there yeah. are constantly parts in this game where I'm like, Oh, right. It has this in this. I forgot that mm-hmm. this even existed inside this game. And that is one of them is the arena. Yeah. Primarily the main thing I like, even my, my association with that is that like, there are certain enemies that you can get in there that are basically like, they, they give you all these ability spheres and, and power spheres mm-hmm. and stuff. And basically a place to grind those, but there's like just so that's a huge time investment on top of everything else we've actually got to do. Mm-hmm. And really, I'm just trying to get to Xanarkin because that's where I can get. Although I messed up, I could have I could have done this better, but uh, I forgot you can steal these from a, a later enemy that we're gonna face in Gagazet. But I've I've had Riku sitting next to the level three key sphere lock for Holy for a very long time now. I think by the time I ended this section, she's at like 22 sphere levels banked <laughs> and I'm just sitting there like, I'm not moving this cursor until I get a level three key sphere so I can skill Holy and then have Yuna and Lulu use the white magic spheres I have to also mm-hmm. pick up Holy so I can have that as a thing. And I mean, now I think it's a good time to talk about the sphere grid in general because at this point uh, I'm hitting, I've got all my level three magic with Lulu. Mm-hmm. Uh, Titus has both Sloga and Hastiga. Like everybody's kind of got their, you know, what I would say is the end of their basic sphere tree. Mm-hmm. And now it's sort of the situation where I'm looking at, 
either how do I get characters to some of the really high level abilities that I know I want them to have, you know, Lulu with Ultima, um, or, you know, zombie attack, uh, quick pockets, that sort of stuff, double cast, Mm -hmm. or do I start taking characters into side areas where I can start to get them more stats, obviously, but also the ability to use stuff that other characters can use as well. So like, for example, giving Yuna some more uh, of Riku's abilities because she ends up pretty close to Riku's sphere grid and having those abilities cross over would work very well. Or like I have Kimari going into Waka's uh, Mm. line right now because Kimari will then be able to do some of the dark buster and things like that. I'm actually finding the Kimari after a certain boss fight in the section is becoming a more useful party member just because now his overdrive is becoming very, very useful. Mm. Uh, so it's, it's a weird part of the game where it feels like you're kind of maxing out, but also like you're opening up into a second tier of customizing these characters. I've started to, I, like, I haven't really gone, gone into anybody else's fear grids yet, but I've started to use like black magic spheres to give Yuna some offensive abilities. Cause like I've mm-hmm. found there will be times where, like, say I've got Titus, Arin, and Yuna all out on the field, and Yuna, because everyone's, like, at, they've got close to full health right now, Yuna doesn't really have anything to do in that turn, and mm-hmm. but I still want her out for when things happen, and it would be just good to have her out. So I started, like, I taught her, like, bio, some of the the second tier Black Magics, because at the time I hadn't had the, the third tier Black Magics uh, spells. But just so, like, she's got some more versatility, because, like, she's still, like, she spec to be able to use magic and use magic well, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. without running on that on her own path, you have to like find, find these ways for her to get like lose uh, abilities. Yeah. And we're at the point now where we're getting friend spheres, return spheres, like all the teleportation mm-hmm. stuff, all the ones that just let you straight up learn an ability that somebody else has already learned. And so, uh, I forgot that I can steal level three key spheres from Biron and Yankee. Mm. And if I had been smart and used a sphere to give that to Kamari for that battle, then I could have gotten them, but I was not smart. Mm. So here we are. Uh, so anyways, so as, as we get out of the calm lands and we move up towards Gagazette, uh, we get ambushed by some Guado forces and, a giant machina that I completely forgot was an enemy in this game, to be honest with you. Like a smaller version of this enemy becomes uh, like a standard mob. Like we're at that point of the game where things that would have been bosses Mm -hmm. back at the beginning of the game are now just like standard enemies, which kind of throughout this whole section led to me using flea a lot, not because I couldn't fight them, but because I just did not want to spend the like Mm -hmm. five to 10 minutes fighting them that it would have taken. Uh, So, yeah, I fleed a lot of fights. Uh, yeah, I, I did too. I, I told, and I, I said this in the last episode, like, oh, I need to start grinding when I get to Calmlands because I'm starting to like notice some trouble. But then I guess I was, the fights that I had taken part in were like so, like I'd gotten so much experience from them just by naturally walking through that I was like, I don't really feel the need to do this. And by the time we got past uh, the the hardest boss section, I was like, oh, maybe I maybe I'm fine. Maybe I'm I just need to keep going. I will also say that a recurring theme for all the bosses in this section are they are very, 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 very difficult. And it helps a lot to know the one or two tricks you can use to kind of cheese Mm. them out. So for Defender, the one that we're fighting, the big Machina puncher dude, uh, 
you can threaten using, I think it's, or no, it's, it's provoke. You can provoke using Tidus, which will make it so it's like a taunt. So mm. that not only will he only hit Tidus, but he'll only hit Tidus with Blast Punch, which is an ability that always does half your health. Mm-hmm. And as anyone who does math knows, you can't half things down to zero, right? Mm-hmm. So Tidus just stood there getting punched over and over and over <laughs> again as I beat the crap out of this giant robot uh, using armor break and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not the cheesiest thing I did in this episode, <laughs> but it, it was up there. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we beat it very unceremoniously. There's mm-hmm. not really any sort of grand pageantry about defeating this giant machine. And also the Guado they dip, folks I guess. just like, yeah, they just left. Um, there is, you can get a little cutscene where, oh, hey, there's another path. That's That leads further into the valley. Uh, so that's a thing, you know, just put a pin in that. Uh, and then we head upwards towards Gagazette. And as as we're leaving, Yuna has kind of stopped and is looking behind her. And this is where Titus kind of clicks that, oh, hey, Yuna has been stopping and pausing everywhere we go. And that's because she's saying goodbye to all these places. You know, mm-hmm. she's never going to be able to come back. And hey, guess what? The recurring theme of this whole episode <laughs> is going to be end of the pilgrimage we are at we are at the end of the pilgrimage and we all know what that means now so it's a very sad episode honestly mm-hmm. um so we get to gagazette ronzo homeland kamari's kamari's turf uh and there's already ronzo showed up led by former maester kelk uh saying hey back off this is still holy yevon land uh, and we can't allow traitors, murderers in here. And Yuna's just standing up as like, I'm not, you know, I'm not like that. We're still trying to finish the pilgrimage, but we're not with Yevon anymore. Mm. Uh, and we have no regrets about anything we've done so far. And clearly you have problems too. That's why you left. So like, don't mess with us. Right. Uh, yeah. Good moment like for you. Yeah. I, I feel like this, like, after having just come off board, she just is having this realization. Like, it feels like she just realizes she has nothing left to lose now. Like, she knows what she wants to do and why she wants to do it, and she is steadfast in that. And, yeah, it's come a long way from when she was, you know, polite to everybody and sympathetic in a way that she is... I mean, not to say she's not so sympathetic, mm-hmm. but, like, she um, is more, like, ready to bull rush her way to her goals, and she doesn't really care what anyone has to say and... Or do about it. Yeah, I, I like the part where uh, they point out that Kelk is not defending Gagazette as a maester of Yevon. He's defending Mount Gagazette as a Ronso. Mm-hmm. And for what what Gagazette means to not his religion, but to his upbringing, to mm-hmm. his life, to his way of life. And Yuna points out that she's doing the same. You know, she's doing this for Spira and the people of Spira. She's not doing this for the establishment of Yevon. And it's, it's a good, like, you know, proclamation of what we've been talking about these past couple episodes of the difference between the, the religion and the faith, the difference between the belief and the organization that uses the Mm -hmm. belief for their own ends. And it's, it's cool to see Yuna, standing up like this and saying, nah, 
But even though Kelk lets us buy, we've still got to deal with uh, with some lingering stuff for Kamari because Kamari's got some history here and he's got to take care of it. And thematically, I'm going to say I love the B-Ron Yankee fight with Kamari. Uh, mm. it, it does kind of feel like it comes out of nowhere a little bit. Like, oh, there's obviously some history between B-Ron and Yankee and Kimari that we kind of get some level of. Basically, they bullied him a lot, and they, they didn't get along well, and one of them broke off Kimari's horn, and that's when Kimari kind of left in disgrace because horns are very important to the Ronso tribe. Um, they talk a lot about horns. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they're a horny bunch, Ken, is what I'm trying yeah. to say. <laughs> um, but, yeah, they're, they're saying, you know, he shamed his family... He's not power. He's not strong enough to climb Gagazette. If you think you're strong enough to climb Gagazette, then you've got to fight B-Ron and Yankee. And luckily, B-Ron and Yankee are scaled to Kamari's level. <laughs> so I didn't even have to use them at all. Like, other than, I mean, other than the times that it made me. Like, the whole time I was worried, I was like, oh, fuck, he's going to be, like, so weak by the time I get to Gagazette and have to do this fight. But no, like, the first attack B-Ron did to me was, like, double digits damage, and I was like, oh. Well, would you look at that? And then I, I fucking won. Like, I, I mean, it's, it's not like a complex fight, per se, but... Um, no, nah, not really. I had to heal like, once. That was about it. Yeah, you're basically just like... It's an opportunity to, like, suck overdrives out of them. Yeah, um, so many so, good overdrives. Like, you can just keep, like, using Lancet until... Basically until they stop giving you shit. Um, yeah. There's one... Once they get below enough health, that opens up another ability. So, like, Mighty Guard on one of them, and I forget what the other one is. And so I, I missed one of them that I could have gotten from B-Ron, but then you can also get them from enemies that are in the area we're about to go into anyways. Mm. So, mm. Uh, and Mighty Guard was the one. Mighty Guard and I think White Wind are the two that I always want for Kimari because they're like the healing slash defensive ones. And they're really good because obviously healing and defensive options are good, but also it means I don't have to look up mix options <laughs> i want them uh because i messed up a mix in in the seymour fight and i used an item that did did not work on seymour luckily i wiped on that fight but we'll get to that part um so yeah we beat b-ron and yankee in a big win for kamari everything's coming up kamari you know what could possibly go wrong for our boy kamari mm. at this point <laughs> and, uh Biron declares that Kimari is strong and the mountain will honor Kimari's name and the Ronso will stop anyone who comes after them as penance for what they've done to Kimari in the past. And they're going to make us, you know, the, the Ronso will polish Yuna's statue and make sure it's the brightest. It's the brightest statue that exists. And Yuna kind of makes a mention that she's like, oh, I don't think they're going to have a statue for me. <laughs> and the Ronso, I love... I love B-Ron just being like, the Ronso will make statue. And I was just like, hell yeah, you will. And then they're like, we'll put a big horn on it. And Yuna's like, yeah, that rule. And I'm like, this is great. This is, I love this. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> and then we get one of the more infamous line reads in the English dub of Final Fantasy X, uh, where Titus, as they are moving on, reflects that I wanted to see Yuna's statue but I realized that I wanted to see it with you to buy my son. <laughs> they did that a couple of times I've noticed. And it, the weird thing is 
Uh, like, in the section, I mean. Like, and the weird thing is, like, it's often done during the narration, which is, like, not... There's no lip-syncing to be done, so, like, I don't know why everything's so condensed and sped up and... Yeah, weird. it's... It's a weird moment where you felt like they needed to condense it because obvious, you know, localization stuff. The reason why any of that would happen is because, you know, something that would takes fewer words or fewer time to say in the original mm-hmm. dub needs to then be shortened or lengthened or whatever. But you couldn't have just done like with her. Right. Or something like that. Like that's it's the same length and <laughs> same meaning. Yeah, and then you're not doing like the with Yuna by my side. <laughs> like mm. that's, it's such a weird, weird line read that I'm just like, there's there's so many little quirks and weird things about this English dub that I love. Just like my cat here who won't stop yelling at me. Um, and on our way up the mountain, we get the Ronso singing us the hymn of the faith again. So we get another hit of that, of uh, the, the pervasiveness of the hymn throughout all of Spira. Mm. And also... The way that it's it kind of means something to everyone, even if not related to Yevon, kind of hearkening back to what Oren was talking about, that you know, there there are elements of organized faith, organized religion that just seep into what culture is and mm-hmm. start to mean things even if you don't ascribe to that faith. And I think it's interesting right. to see how the hymn is one of those, especially when the hymn has, as we've talked about before. Uh, origins that were not religious in nature <laughs> when it was written. So um, it's interesting. So I did not. Oh, okay. I see. So we, we go up and up and up the mountain and we do run into wants, 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 I think wants, uh, who is Owaka's brother. So mm. I, this is my first time seeing this character and they say something about like, Oh, we've seen you around before and all that. Uh, so I guess this is just a character that you could have interacted with uh, up to this point. I feel like I, I feel like I saw him at some point. Hold on, I, I'm, I have to look in this now because I, I might be mixing up the times that I saw him in Ten Two. Yeah, so he's Owaka's brother, I believe, and Owaka has been imprisoned for helping the summoner and and helping Yuna, uh, and so now Wants is going to serve as Owaka's shop. And it's important that we meet him here because I think there's something about if you don't meet him here, then he doesn't show up in later in Makalania or something. And that's when he sells the really, really good endgame items. So mm. uh, good to hit this up. But uh, he's also here selling a bunch of stuff that has zombie ward on it. <laughs> Wonder what we'll need that for, Ken. <laughs> Who could say? Why we would suddenly need to worry about that particular stat. <laughs> the zombie status. <laughs> How could that affect us? I do like, so I missed one or two of them, but I like that there are memorials along the way for summoners who have died mm-hmm. on their way up the mountain, and they have that little aside about, oh, the summoners who die here go unsent. And Titus is like, what do you mean? Why wouldn't they get sent? And Lulu's just like, who do you th- who would who's do it? going to send them? <laughs> like we are we are past the calm lands which i don't think we we didn't talk about the lore part of the calm lands but the calm lands are basically this giant place where there is no civilization around it's it's the furthest reaches of spira and it's a big open plain and so summoners would use it to fight sin you know they would lure mm-hmm. sin there and then summon the final aeon and have their fight in the calm lands uh 
And so if we're, we're past that, we're even further into the farthest reaches where only the Ronso live and the Ronso just kind of act as guards really uh, to make sure that only summoners are getting through and all that. But uh, yeah, like if, if someone dies up there, that's they're they're dying up there. <laughs> like, right. There's there's nothing else to happen. And I think it's interesting that throughout this whole process of the Calmlands and Gagazette, we hear a lot of stories about moments where guardians and summoners had their resolve shook, you know, where they, they stopped. And I mean, father Zook was one of them where he, I think they say he got to the Calmlands and decided to give up on his pilgrimage mm-hmm. and go just be a maester of Yevon and all that instead. Yep. And it's interesting to see that this is the part where a lot of summoners and guardians have their wills tested, have their strength mm-hmm. tested, have everything about them tested to see if they're really up to the task. And so I guess thematically it would make sense that we're about to fight some of the toughest bosses in the game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot. It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And, and we hit a save point. The B save point. And we head on up and we're kind of at, I guess what you call like a platform and outcropping on the mountain uh, where it's flat for a little bit. And Riku stops and is like, hey, Xanarkin's like just ahead. Maybe we should stop. Maybe we should stop here. Okay, we, we got to think of something, you know, may, why we got to think of something. There's this kind of running thing between Riku and Titus of, you know, if we just keep thinking, we'll think of a way for, for Uni not to die in mm-hmm. all of this. Uh, and I love Riku's delivery because she says something about like, Oh, you're starting to sound like a leader now, mm-hmm. Titus. And he's like, well, I am the star player of the Xanarkand Aves. And Riku does this whole, Oh, and mm-hmm. bows and all that. And it's a really great delivery. Yep. Um, and then comes back up and is like, ah, <laughs> because <laughs> Seymour's behind him. Um, and so Titus is like, go get the others. I'm hanging out here. Uh, I'm going to fight Seymour. Uh, and Seymour straight up calls Titus the son of Jekt. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, a little pin in that. And as Titus is getting ready to fight, everyone shows up. Kimari has a great line. It's like, save some for Kimari. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're useful <laughs> now. You get to say that. <laughs> um, and so as Eunice starts to do ascending, which is funny, um, Seymour is like, oh, I want to say something to the last Ronso and reveals that he just casually did some genocide on his Mm -hmm. way up the mountain and killed all the Ronso and is like, oh, you should let me kill Kamari too so he doesn't have to feel pain or sadness about this. Mm -hmm. Although he is going to vibe about it for the rest of the game because they they are going to drop this plot point real fast. Yeah. Yeah, this this happens. I legitimately forgot that this was a plot point in 10. Mm. I, I completely yeah. forgot that this happened. Well, I mean, the weird thing is, like, and I, I'm i not remembering what happens when you go back to Gagazette after this, but there are still Ronso. This was not genocide. He just killed the, pe- the ones that were there. Because yeah. They I are mean, yeah. All, like, there are plenty of them in 10, too. Yeah, and we've seen Ronzo in other parts of, of Spira, like, just hanging out in Spira before. Like, there's the Blitzball team, and we've seen 
not a ton of Ronso characters, but there have been some Ronso characters in other parts of Spira before. And it's like, mm. it's not that strange. Um, so, yeah. I mean, it all really serves. It feels like it's another chance for Seymour to talk about how, Oh, killing things is like yeah, a mercy. And death is the release from pain and all that. Um, and he also says, Oh, you know, with Eunice help, I can become sin. And you'd like that too, Titus, because then Jekt would be free from sin and, you know, put a pin in that one, you know, for a moment, mm. uh, because a giant weird flesh mech comes up behind Seymour and we get to fight Seymour Flux. Woo! The moment mm. we were dreading this entire podcast, the fight against Seymour Flux. Um, so... There was actually, I was tweeting about this this fight earlier today as I was playing it, and people were kind of replying to it. And, you know, the, the obvious reaction for everyone who's played this game is like, oh, my God, Seymour Flux. Like, that's the Gagazette-Seymour fight. Oh, my God. Mm. Uh, this is definitely, like, one of the most well-known roadblocks, mm. honestly, in all, like, Final Fantasy RPGs. I feel like if you've played Final Fantasy X, you know this fight. You right. are well acquainted with this fight. And it's it's one where I think even if you know some of the tricks to it, so I I beat him on my second attempt. And even then, knowing some of the things I could do to make it easier to win, I was still, I, I wiped mm-hmm. my first time because I got cheeky. I got overly confident and mm-hmm. was like, oh, I'll bring Riku in and do a mix and like do something clever. And then he was like, nah, cross cleave and killed everyone. <laughs> Yeah, because that's that's there are two main trolls. This is like one he has, like half of his kit is a team wipe, like, mm-hmm. and so you have to have either extremely high HP or strong enough defenses to like just survive it. But he also has like one of his like go to like bread and butter moves is to zombify one of your characters mm-hmm. and then cast full life on them so they immediately dead, which which is what makes Wanted's shop earlier. Significant is like because there are these blessed armors that you can have. I, I there might have been more, but I got, only got the one for Cheetah's unit and Arun because those were, were kind of like my main line yeah, people I had yeah. out. Um, I think there were only those because I tried looking for some for like Waka and I did not find any. So yeah, and it's uh, and even that's not like foolproof because like it's it basically lowers the chance that it'll be successful. But yeah. they, they you can still get zombie status effects with them on. It's an ability so what I, that does damage and cast zombie, to be yeah. clear, too. Because I did have Lance of Atrophy. I was like, haha, this character can be low health because they won't get zombified, and then they just got stabbed and died. <laughs> so, <laughs> joke's on me. Yeah. So what I ended up doing more frequently was I ended up just putting Reflect on my team instead. So like, even if they did happen to get zombied, uh, full life would still not hit them. And, mm-hmm. you know, if Seymour gets that and he's not knocked out it's not gonna it doesn't heal him or anything so it's not it's like mm-hmm. net zero change there um so we yeah, also have asuna mm, does not work on zombie i just want to also we're we're now yeah. going to start dealing with zombie and curse after this both of which asuna which has been your go-to status clearing option does not wipe mm. away yeah and the, and the items for those are like rare like they're more they're not at sold at shops so you can't buy holy water at uh, you could buy holy water at Wants's shop. Are you are you sure about that? I I bought a bunch of holy water there. I I am a hundred percent sure on this one, Ken. I didn't see that. Mm, okay, 
Well, <laughs> then it, it's only started being sold now. Yeah, yeah, no, I think they intentionally start selling it this late because they're like, oh, yeah, no, there are things that are going to do zombie to you now. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the interesting thing is, like, because, like, okay, I, I gave this, I think, three tries before I ended up cheating it because, like, I wanted, like, I wanted to fucking play the game right. And he, it's like he was back in Bavel, like, he's got this other, like, entity with him mm-hmm. that it's like using his combos and his attacks and if you kill it it will absorb some of seymour's help to heal itself mm-hmm. and um so what i ended up doing initially was i was hitting that more than i was ever hitting seymour because just like that was the thing that was easier for me to do damage to um mm-hmm. and i also i i he's, he's susceptible to poison so i did bio on him and so he would like all these setups he has, like, take multiple turns to happen. So, like, in the process of him setting up an attack, he would take damage, like, constantly. Yes, yeah. And so between the poison and me attacking whatever the hell the other thing is called, like, I, like he was taking a lot of damage. But then he has, like, again, like, he has these things that completely wipe, wipe your team. And I was just like, I, I can, like, actually bother to, like, play the game by its rules and, like, use strategies and, like, really deal with all the systems in place here. Or I could just overdrive with all my aeons who all do 9999 damage every time and that's what i did and it won me the fight so like i, I like i literally didn't have to do anything else i just had yeah. to use overdrive um i i was basically the same i got set up so i did my hastiga on yuna titus lulu um it was a little bit of work keeping Lulu alive because Lulu has really, really low speed compared to everybody else. So uh, Lulu was a prime target to get zombified and killed right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I would have to like bring her back and then keep her alive. Uh, but eventually I got the poison on him and then swapped out. And then it was a case of um, here's another fun fact. So because of the way that some of the moves like total annihilation and stuff like that work, uh seymour has to kind of be in sync with the whatever the appendage helper mm. thing is it's called like mortiarchus or something like that mortiosis Mar- i'm gonna call it fred seymour okay. has to be in in sync with fred to to make it work and so if you haste seymour he will have a lot of turns where he just does nothing because mm. he's out of sync and he's just like waiting to have the thing where it's like Fred is powering up the total annihilation move mm. or whatever. Cause it has to go through a couple cycles of that and Seymour won't attack during that. Uh, so if he has extra turns, he just has extra empty turns in which he is taking more bio damage mm-hmm. and that works really well. And then, yeah, I just, it, it, you say, can you say, you know, use the, the tools that the game gives you? I, the game, gives you aeons i don't think there's anything wrong Mm. with just blasting away with every aeon on overdrive because they even anticipated the idea that you would use aeons in this Mm -hmm. fight because seymour much like other fights with seymour has the ability to just banish the Mm -hmm. aeons in a single turn so they they pretty much you know even that out by saying okay you can use your overdrives but you're only going to get one shot with this So like they have they have to have an overdrive when they're summoned. Yes. Yeah. You you get one attack and then Seymour is going to banish it. So, you know, make that one attack count. It's all you're going to get. I think that's them balancing it out. So I, 
I did that for this one. Um, I didn't do it for Sanctuary Keeper, which is the boss after this, but mm. um, we'll talk about Sanctuary Keeper when we get to Sanctuary Keeper. But uh, yeah, I have no qualms about just doing a cheese of, mm-hmm. I don't even think I hit Seymour Flux with anyone else. Uh, like I don't think Titus or Oren or Waka or anybody attacked him. I think I just legitimately put bio on him mm-hmm. and then blasted him with overdrives and then just like was yep. keeping the team alive as poison slowly destroyed him. And yep. yeah, that's look a win's a win, baby. Yeah. That's... I think, like that's kind of, that's my feeling. Like, I don't, I don't know that that's as satisfying a, like a fight as other times that we fought him or like basically worked more within like the systems of like, how these bosses operate more so than like having this just fucking wall of damage that goes at them. Like that's not necessarily satisfying, but also like I recognize that Seymour Flux is like this roadblock for so many people because it is this almost unfair fight. Like uh-huh. there are certainly ways uh-huh. to win it, like you know, in a quote unquote like more natural way. But all like the all that shit that's in place, you have to have like such high level characters and high level abilities to get through that, like, in any sort of, like, more natural way, and I just, I guess that's, that's kind of why I'm okay with it in the end, is that, like, I, that I just, because, like, it, it meant I got to keep going, it meant I did not have to be frustrated with this for very long, and honestly, like, after I figured that out and, like, really, like, solidified that with what I was gonna do, the only thing that really frustrated me was that the scene before the fight was not skippable. Yeah, yeah, I, I got a load of laundry started while I was playing the second time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, you can skip uh, through certain parts of the dialogue, but, like, depending on what's going on in the scene at the moment, like, you can't do that every time. Yeah. So, it's weird. I think the difference for me, especially in this area, as as we move on and, and with Seymour Flux and some of the bosses that we either have faced or will start to face, is that the bosses are less, you know, we look back at ones like the, uh, the bliss ball machine when you're rescuing Yuna earlier in the game or, uh, the, the spheromorph and all that. Those are bosses that kind of teach you how to beat them and you learn how to beat them. And then you play their system and beat them. Right. Mm. This is a boss that is built to kill you. (laughs) Like this is, this is a boss that yes, it does have, like systems that you can take advantage of, but it doesn't feel like it's trying to teach you, Hey, this is how this works. And here's how you could operate around it. No, Seymour is just trying to kill you. And he's got a lot of different ways of doing it. And you've got to figure out how to adapt to each one that he's using on the fly. And there are aspects of like things that he can do like dispel, uh, like casting protect on, on himself, the, Fred can cast protect and reflect on Seymour, which can be a problem. And it's like, like this is an enemy that is playing with the rules that you also have and is going to use them to its fullest, fullest extent to try and kill you and take you out. And Mm -hmm. I think that's probably why flux is so well remembered as this difficult enemy. But at the same time, like I think that's why it works is because that's kind of the mood we're at in the story is like, we're past the point of Yuna's learning on the pilgrimage. Yuna's a summer. No, like we mm. are, we are warriors. We are guardians. We have got to be able to fight against enemies that are just trying to murder us. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it works. It works out well. And obviously like, I think this fight for how infamous it is, is still memorable. Um, because mm. I think when we talk about things like sanctuary keeper, uh, they're not remembered as well because they're, 
don't have that same weight both narratively and as a roadblock that some of these others do or like defender mm. where once you've figured out how defender works you you can beat defender and then defender becomes an, a regular enemy at that point so mm. so yeah and then seymour turns into fireflies and you know he won't be coming back right you know seymour's gone forever again finally killed seymour <laughs> I, mean, I don't know like i just you were gonna send them ten minutes ago. Yeah. Why did you stop? Yeah. Like you, mean, you also, them. Why didn't you get back to that? So can you not like? I I still don't understand how the sending stuff works. So like, can you not send him during combat? Is that not an option? Like, does he have to be like in one place and not moving to be sent? Like, what are the rules on it? You know, why can't Yuna like sneak up behind him? And, and just kind of do a stealth send, you know? <laughs> Who could uh, say? Yeah, yeah. If only if only we could find a sphere on the grid that, that was for full send, you know? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we regroup, and we're moving on. But Yuna's like, hold up, wait a minute. Now that we have murdered Seymour for the third time, uh, gotta ask something real quick. We've also killed Seymour three times. That's weird to think about, but... Um, she's like, she said something, Seymour said something about sin and Jekt. What's going on? And Oren is like, Hey, you know, let's keep moving. Don't worry about it. Don't ask questions. It's all good. And, you know, asked Titus directly and he's like, yeah, um, sin's Jekt. I don't know how, don't know why, but sin is Jekt. Uh, and everybody kind of internalizes this. And I think there's some granted, I don't know if the story does this well in, in the idea that like, well, we don't really know how that works. So we just got to go on and kill it. And we just got to be cool with, uh, Jekt, you know, being sin mm. and that we're killing Jekt. And also, um, like they, they even say that Titus, are you okay with us fighting your dad? And he's like, yeah, no problems there. I'm good. <laughs> mm. <laughs> All good there. Um, but we do kind of just there. There are a few story beats in in Gagazette that I feel like we just kind of gloss by real mm-hmm. fast. So right. you know, the Ronso genocide, the uh, sin is jacked revelation for Yuna and the rest of the group that isn't Titus and Oren, and then the faith, which we have a whole encounter with. Yeah, and Titus is just like, nah, don't worry. I was just taking a nap. It's all good. Let's move on. <laughs> well, I think in that that in that one particular, like, we played as the character who was having the internal struggle and yeah. thought thought happen, at least. And like, so when he's kind of like trying to brush it off, that comes off more like he's literally just trying to brush it off. Like, not mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like the story is trying. The, it, it feels like the character is trying to move forward, not the story. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, uh, to to lay the stage out after we have beaten flux and move forward we run into was kind of like a lake waterfall type area and there are a bunch of people all along the walls and then stones and stuff like we saw the faith in bevel and yuna's like hey these are all faith like this is what the faith look like but there's tons of people there like just bodies and bodies and bodies it's some real like this is the part where i was looking at all this and being like i think someone at square was really into Junji Ito stuff when they were Mm. writing this game, because this is also where we have the faith character specifically refer to Spira as the spiral. 
And I was like, huh, yeah, no, this is like Uzumaki vibes all the way down for me. <laughs> so uh, some weird, really creepy horror stuff. And Oren's like, you know, Riku is like, hey, Oren, what do you know? You're like, you look like you know something, but you're not saying anything. Um, and Oren's just like, I don't know. You want to know? Go find out for yourself. And Titus is like, yeah, you're right. I should. This is my story. And then touches the faith and, and passes the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> Famous last words. I, I mean, I, I, the thing that annoyed me most was like the sudden like pivot. He was like, from this is our, this is to, this is my story. Cause like, I feel like, and granted, I think Ten Two like has like a reclaiming of that, like mm. overtly in like, I don't know. Like, if it's like Tito's is like trying to take on like a story that's not entirely his, but like he's trying to make it seem like it's like it's all about him, and that just made made me feel weird here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's especially weird when we get to the end of this section and they reiterate that this is our story. Please hear it. Like mm. that's. I think in this section, it's more he's trying to indicate that, you know, this is my story, so I'm not. I can't let anyone else like tell it to me i've got to find things you know some things you got to find out for yourself i think it's in that spirit and not necessarily like oh no this is actually me the protagonist of reality Mm. or whatever um but you know we only have the text that we can work with so um he passes out and wakes up back in xanarkand he's in his house like nothing's ever happened except the bahamut faith that has been following us around is also here and is like, I know you. I've known you for a while. And the party party members, Riku, Yuna, Waka, keep chiming in, being like, wake up, wake up. And uh, Titus is like, oh, this is a dream, isn't it? And Bahamut's like, yeah, but you're not dreaming. You are a dream. And so this is where we get some backstory that we had talked about previously here, that there was a war between Xanarkand and Bevel. And Bevel's Machina won the fight. Uh, the summoners of Xanarkand lost, but the Faith wanted to save them. So uh, basically, everyone who was left became the Faith and cre- summoned this dream Xanarkand that would never sleep. And all the people living in it, uh, including Jekt, Titus's unnamed mother, <laughs> and <laughs> Titus. Uh, are all projections. They're they're all summonings, essentially. Mm-hmm. And the faith want to stop dreaming. The faith want to stop sleeping. Uh, and that's kind of what the faith leave us with, is they're like, hey, you and your father have been touched by sin. You know, you could wake us up, and we would like to wake up. And then that's, we, we actually wake up in, in Spira. So this is... <sighs> This is a lot to process and it's a part of Final Fantasy X that I've always kind of struggled to just like conceptualize, I guess, mm. because I, I think when we were previously working with the idea that there was time travel, right? Like that's something mm-hmm. a little bit firmer to grasp onto. Like, yeah. oh, Tidus and Jack might be from way in the past and they've jumped forward and Sin is an entity that kind of exists outside of time. So maybe even when sin is attacking Titus's Xanarkand in the past, that 
consciousness of object could exist, you know, inside it. You know, if you've seen something like Arrival, you can get like a general idea of that sort of thing, and that that's how that could all get explained. But the moment it becomes like, oh, that Xanarkin, like there was a Xanarkin in the past, but you are not from that. Mm-hmm. You are from a faith dream projection of Xanarkind that you and Jekt and your mother were all in. First of mm-hmm. all, I think begs the question of like, are there entire generations living and dying within, you know, is this like a matrix situation? Mm-hmm. Um, and also then how do, you know, we already have some weirdness with dead people still being made up of fireflies and being alive. So that then begs the question, you know, if, they have always been dreams. Then where does the corporeal element come from? How are they mm. things with bodies and where did the bodies come from? I think there's just a lot of questions I have that can, I don't know if the extended mm. lore starts to answer any of this. Does it? Uh, I mean, not in any like real more concrete ways. I, my feeling on this, this plot beat is there's, it feels it feels superfluous to me in a way that almost feels mean spirited because of what it's ultimately going to mean. Mm. Um, and because I, 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 in the grand scheme of things, I don't know that this twist adds much to Final Fantasy X for me. Um, I like that it's going to serve as a foundation for X two, and I think that like there are question like questions that X like tacitly brings up that X two is going to have actual concrete answers for that I think mm-hmm. are interesting. Um, but I've never really been a fan of this term because, like, I just like for all the reasons that you said, like, how does sin interact with a dream to bring people that lived in this dream into the real world of Spira? Like, you know, all these sudden like questions of like planes of existence and reality that suddenly get brought up. But I also just like, I don't, like the time travel possibility. I guess it had more like another. I'm not. A, I don't have a problem with like a sad ending or the inevitability of like sacrifice. But just mm-hmm. like, and it's it's hard to talk about this without like getting into what the end of this game is. But yeah, like, yeah, we'll t- we'll talk about that. Yeah, when we, we get can there. kind of put a pin in all those feelings because like I just it's just it is an aspect of this game that revisiting it, I'm like, huh, you know, at the time I remember being like, oh wow, this is such a crazy twist. Oh my god, and and this is like the first twist that we kind of have just between the player and Titus. You know, everything mm-hmm. else has kind of been told to Titus and we experience it through that. So like the, the Orin and Titus knowing about sin being jacked and uh, Titus not knowing that, you know, has to die at the end of the pilgrimage as part of the final summoning and yada, yada, like that's, this is kind of the first one that's just between the player and Titus and mm. that's it. And we know, and nobody else knows. And it's, it's just a weird thing that I think it will still ultimately result in interesting storytelling, but it's, something that especially as the lore gets extended and and the the mm. world gets more built out you just kind of go like that was a thing they decided to do huh and they didn't really know what the larger implications of it would be and all that um, yeah i mean they, they kind of attempt to like hand, wa- hand wave it in a way because like they're like jacked into this have been touched by sin and that makes them different and able to exist in this world but it feels like twisting the knife to me yeah to like bring Tita through all of this and then be like oh by the way you're not real yeah and and the other aspect of this that i think is interesting and um I, i'm actually doing some some searching right now to look this up is discussing summoners 
like before the appearance of sin. Mm. So we have this thing of like, oh, summoners have existed prior to sin existing or, you know, because right. the Xanarkin Bevel War is pre-sin. Um, and, and this is something we might delve more into as we get farther into the lore as well. But um, it's, it's this idea that the the faith practice, yeah, so the days of Xanarkin, it precedes the faith of Yevon. I'm going off of the Final Fantasy wiki here. Um, they... They used to live on Besaid Island a thousand years ago during the time of the Machina War between Bevel and Xanarkins. Um Yeah, so it's this idea that they existed as this thing in the days of Machina, and so faith are not necessarily just a Yevon thing. It's just a thing you can do should you want to do it. So it's a lot to take in, honestly, for what is a very short scene, all mm. things considered. <laughs> Um, but don't worry about that. We got to move forward because there's a water section coming up. <laughs> An entire cave section I completely forgot existed in this yeah, video it game. I, I hate it. It's it's a bad area. I, I don't like this area it, at all. I, it really yeah. just fucks with the momentum of yeah. the section. I think that's my biggest issue with it is that yeah, all these weird like one-off puzzles that you have to do that are that it, it feels like filler, especially like in a game mm-hmm. that is like. The pacing of Final Fantasy X is fairly tight, most like, and that is the benefits of its linearity. Um, where there's just like a section like you just came off, you know, one very difficult boss, one that was also like uh, plot relevant, like really like was a moment for Kamari, um, mm-hmm. and then suddenly we got to go in the fucking cave and fight a bunch of water creatures mm-hmm. and <laughs> the yeah. trials of Mount Kagazet, <laughs> which I don't think I did all of them. I did two of them. Yeah, I I think there were three. I only did two. I, I did not, the so so sure we both did the one that's the waka hits the switch right with the blitz yeah. ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one sucks. It's mm-hmm. not good. It's just bad. And also, I don't understand why it exists when it seems like it's specifically designed for someone to throw a blitz ball at. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the they're going for there, but we basically have to do it just to drop a staircase down so we can continue. And at this point, the rest of them are optional. Like you don't have to do any other ones if you don't want to. You can just keep heading up and you're good but there's like some items you can get here. So I went and did one that was like, there are three mm-hmm. switches and the holes are different sizes. So you got to pay attention to the size of the hole when you send people into them. But really it's just the colors of the switch correspond to each character's sphere grid color. And so that's how you know which one to pick for which. Um, and I was just, I spent the whole time really lamenting how frequent random encounters are in yep. this video game. <laughs> the number Rocket of time I would... the repel equivalent. Yes. Oh my God. I was just sitting there like, I, is there a repel item in this game? I think there's a repel that you can get on equipment or something Probably at some talking. point. Uh, God, something I less it. readily available than what it needs to be. Yeah. Yeah. I like badly craved the ability to just turn off random encounters in this mm-hmm. video game at this point, because Again, it's not like they were too difficult. It's just winning them would be so time consuming. And mm-hmm. also they're so time consuming, but they're still giving you the amount that winning just a normal battle would be that honestly, I did not feel like time to reward was good on right. any of these fights. Like I killed a, a behemoth. I was like, hell yeah, that was a big enemy. I just killed it. It was like, everybody gets 
half of a sphere grid level mm. for that. And I was like, I'm not fighting like four more of those. <laughs> like, this is why Tita Sesley. Yeah, yeah. It's it is every speedrunner's favorite ability. It's it's the best. It's mm-hmm. it's so good. Um so also you're still using Brotherhood as a weapon? I mean it's got like really well, I mean I've I've customized it and it has like really good stats. Oh, it's, okay. a, it's certainly the strongest weapon I've got for Tito's. Uh, I'm still using the one that the the Avenger or whatever the one that has counterattack. Mm. Uh, it's it's very very handy. Also Waka, shoutouts to Waka has a counterattack in this one, and I got a special counterattack animation that was not Waka throwing the ball to hit something, but it was like something ran up to hit him, and it missed, and then he just grabbed the ball and like thrust it down and smacked mm. something over the head with it, like he was bludgeoning it with the ball, and it ruled. And I, I don't think I've ever seen that animation before, mm. and it was cool. So yeah, I got uh, I like when I was doing custom, customizing during the section, I uh, also got the counter for Waka. So it's it's very very handy. Yeah. Uh, I would just like that on all my characters, really. Yeah, like as long as it's like you know Orin or Titus or no, Waka you can bop him, bop him with the staff. It's fine. <laughs> the the Moogle gets to fight too. <laughs> Moogle gets a punch. Uh, I did have a moment where Lulu was confused and like knelt down to put her Moogle on the ground and it turned around and smacked her in the face and that was <laughs> very 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 funny. <laughs> uh, so as, as we're heading on up, Orin is like, hey they're almost here and you know it's like what are you talking about and Orin's like fiends uh she's sending them to test us to see uh you know our resolve and you know it's like who and and Orin's like unaleska she's alive as much as mika micah and seymour are anyways and Yuna's kind of surprised because this is a character that we've heard about that mm-hmm. we've been told about up to this point. And obviously Yuna is, is named after this legendary summoner, but uh, Oren's like, are you worried? And Yuna's like, nah, nothing frightens me anymore. And in, in, in another great moment for Yuna mm-hmm. uh, and Oren just smiles is like, Broska would be proud of you. By the way, did you get the Broska sphere on the way through Mount Gagazette? No, I didn't. So there's a Broska sphere that's kind of hidden off the main path that I ran into by accident. And it's one that uh, it, it shows him kind of leaving a message for, for Yuna at the top of Mount Gagazette. And he's like, if you made it this far, then clearly you're following in my footsteps. Uh, and he does a thing that's like, Hey, you know, I just want you to fight for what you believe in, mm-hmm. you know, whoever you are, like, don't fight for anyone else. Like, be yourself and, mm-hmm. and fight for your beliefs and you'll do well. And it was, it was a very touching little moment. Mm-hmm. It's it like you nice. fall into the future or something. Uh-huh. Knew that she would be at this point. Um, so as we get outside, here's Sanctuary Keeper. And this one, when I was younger, definitely roadblocked me too because mm-hmm. I think he's deceptively powerful. Uh, mm-hmm. It's this big fiend, and its big attack is is photon wings, which just does like a ton of damage to everyone in the party. And yep. he's and also a character. Also dumps a bunch of stats on them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so curse, which is something that we have not really dealt with yet. And I honestly forget how it works. How curse works? Is I... it you take damage when you try to heal or something like that? No, I think it's. Well, I, I know it stops overdrive. That's one thing I. W- oh, okay. Had to deal with. Um. Cause I, I don't think it 
stops all your abilities because I was still able to armor break, which is mm-hmm. like basically a necessity to do any damage to this dude. Yeah. Um, so what exactly is the curse disables? The the big wins for me here were I I, I armor broke early on and bioed early on, so it was taking poison damage the whole time. And then after I got bio on it, I put reflect on the sanctuary keeper. So Mm -hmm. it casts Kyriga and stuff like protect on itself. But those got reflected off to my party, which made some characters like, Yuna a lot tougher and easier to keep alive. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was a point where he count, where it casted um, reflect on one of my characters and stuff. And so it would cast the things it wanted to use on itself on them Uh instead. And I think that bypasses any reflect you might put on it. Yes, it does. But mm-hmm. the way you get around that is if you have Yuna with Dispel, mm-hmm. you can Dispel it. Uh, I just would rotate those characters out because I think like I had a bad combination of people who were silenced and stuff like that and was not able to, within a turn or two, get the Dispel off. So I just kind of rotated them out and switched to different characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, at this point, I'm mostly attacking with my characters. Uh, Lulu's magic is honestly not hitting the way it used to. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of low damage at this point. I think until I get Ultima. And so uh, really mostly just hitting things with Tidus and Orin and Waka and Kimari. Kimari, who's now doing a lot more damage and, mm. and kind of holding his own. But uh, mm, also been... bio. If you bio and yeah. then mental break, mental break makes it so they have lower magical resistance, which mm. makes them take even more damage from bio is something mm. I learned during this fight. And that yeah. worked really well. I've been... Mostly leading with Arantidas and Yuna, and kind of just like switching out as necessary. Because like, like you're saying, like Lulu's not re- like she used to be like my frontline. Like you'd mm-hmm. end up with some enemy that was weak to the elements, and um, but just as time has gone on, I just haven't really been getting the damage output I want out of her. Although I did in the midst of the Gagazet section, finally get the third level spells for her. So mm-hmm. that that might change going into the Anarchan. But I've been using Riku a lot more. Um, and I think this is yeah. like I've been stealing a lot, and I've mm-hmm. been so I've like had things to like she's had things to do, like add abilities to use and items to use, and um, she doesn't she still doesn't hit hard, but she at least hits hard enough that if I don't really have anything to do that turn, I can just attack normally and at least get something useful out of it. Um, but usually I just find, throwing grenades. I, yeah, I was gonna say I find Riku useful as a character that can spot heal, that can. Uh, obviously insta-kill uh, Machina, mm-hmm. certain Machina enemies. Uh, and then also as a character that can either through using items or through putting special attributes on her weapons uh, inflict a lot of status stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then obviously her overdrive becomes very useful as you start to get mm-hmm. some later game consumable items. So yeah. overall seen... Riku really shown up and would probably show up more if I spent any of the 22 sphere levels that currently have that, yeah, for her. Yeah, helpful. I also, uh, like, one last note on Riku before we move on. I've really come to appreciate how fast she is, even with, oh yeah. even without haste. Like, I mean, I try to get haste whenever I can, but, like, just, like, she'll get three turns before an enemy can fight sometimes. And yeah. that gives me a lot of time to set up things and then maybe switch off on, like, that, that last turn and switch mm-hmm. to somebody else and, like, then actually do some damage. But, um, yeah, she's, like, a really, just a really good flex character that can kind of do a whole lot in a very short amount of time. Yeah, again, the sort of thing I was wishing to see from Kamari, whereas it feels like Kamari just kind of becomes like a warrior that can also take on the role of mm-hmm. learning other abilities to do, you know, 
like Kamari's a flex in that it's like, oh, okay, if I'm not already using my main DPS character for whatever reason, I have Kamari out because something has happened and Kamari is out. I think something that I'm thinking on now and I've been thinking to like what is basically his equivalent dress fear in Tenshu is I think the issue with a lot of Kamari's abilities is that they are walled off by the overdrive. Like all of the things yeah. that he does yeah. that are that can be different than everybody else in, in your party are his overdrive and it's not something so he's not like consistently able to really do all these wonderful things that he can learn where the equivalent uh dress fear and tend to is like you know you learn all these abilities but they are not walled off that way they take up mp like anything else does is it and, is it just called blue mage in uh, it's the gun mage gun mage okay yeah yeah. Oh. yeah like the blue mage archetype is an interesting archetype but it's always like really tricky to balance compared to like white mage black mage red mage like the ones that final fantasy has more grounded you mm-hmm. know terms for um so we we keep on moving forward after we murder <laughs> the sanctuary mm-hmm. keeper and riku is like hey i want to rest like let, let's rest let's rest we're you know and Orin's like we're almost at the summit we're not going to rest now and riku's like that's why i want to stop you know if we're almost to xanarkin and we haven't thought of anything yet um and this is where titus kind of starts to waver as well and Orin remarks that he himself started to have doubts Mm-hmm. Um, at this point and I love I love the thing so Waka's like oh I guess even legendary guardians choke sometimes yeah and Horn was like I was not a legendary guardian mm-hmm. I was a boy I was your age and uh, this is like I wanted to change the world I thought I could too that was my story then and just kind of walks mm-hmm. off and it serves as both like a, a humanizing moment for Oren. And also mm-hmm. like a big F you to walk out because mm-hmm. <laughs> he's just like, you are still the most immature person in this party. Right. And uh, you don't understand like the Waka is really not appreciating the gravity of what is happening and what mm-hmm. everyone's kind of going through at this point. I think this is what kind of wakes him up to that is mm-hmm. Oren being like, dude, we're about to walk into a place that is the end of the pilgrimage where your friend is going to die for Spira. Like, mm-hmm. I, it also, would be worrying if you did not have some hesitation right. or whatever. Like, yeah. And I mean, and we're also like headed into a place that we're going to learn is like, I mean, we know the gist of what's going to happen here, but like once we get to the actual reality of what all of this entails, once we get to mm-hmm. the it really becomes clear like why Oren might have like, I mean, straight up, like, he, he has trauma associated with Xanarkin that he has not opened up to anybody about. And I think mm-hmm. when you have, Somebody like Waka being like, oh, wow, you know, you were this, you know, you, this strong-willed guardian that everyone looks up to. And then he's just kind of like, no, you have no idea what I went through. And mm-hmm. you're about to learn, I guess. Yeah, yeah. This is, I mean, this is, oh, okay, so we're, we're going to get to it, this, this moment. So we uh, we keep moving forward and we see Xanarkand and we get a little FMV cutscene of Xanarkand and all of us looking out over it. And it's kind of this hit, you know, like, yes, this is Xanarkand. And we see it in ruins. It is mm-hmm. not the future Xanarkand that we've always seen. It is the ruined Xanarkand that we honestly were expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, as Titus remarks, the last chapter in the story. And uh, Riku, again, is protesting. Like, we don't have to go. We don't have to go. And Yuna's like, no, I, I need to. I, I And they kind of argue back and forth, you know, Riku not wanting to accept that 
Yuna is going to do what she's going to do. And Yuna saying like, this is my life. Like I knew that this was going to come sooner or later. Um, and, uh, as they're kind of hugging and, and making up and moving on, which, which is a really sweet scene. Again, mm-hmm. I like Yuna and Riku's relationship a lot. I'm looking forward to Tintu where that gets mm-hmm. to evolve more. And it's, it's just good, but we mm-hmm. see a sphere drop, uh, as, as Yuna, uh, walks on. And the weird thing is, is this missable? Like, could you just walk past it if you um, wanted to? Maybe. I actually don't know. Because, like... Is there a prompt? I can't remember if you just, like, walked up a little bit and then he picked it up. I, I felt like I hit X to pick mm-hmm. it up, but maybe you don't have to hit X to pick it up. I don't know. But Titus kind of picks up the sphere, and as the, the group kind of moves ahead of us, uh, he listens to it. Uh, and it's from the Mian High Road. So way back, like just after Luca, uh, we we go back to all of them at the, the Chocobo farm where we fought the, the Chocobo Eater and all that. And it's Yuna as she's sitting up on the cliff and she's leaving like goodbye messages for all mm-hmm. of her guardians. And it's a very, very long dialogue scene. Mm-hmm. You know, we get this ability to slowly pan over to her sitting you actually have to use the control stick to pan over to her sitting on the cliff just hanging out there and then it kind of goes into different camera angles and stuff after that but um she's recounting a story about kamari from her childhood like you basically hear the whole story of how kamari became her guardian Mm -hmm. and all that and uh all these stories about Orin from when she was younger and then apologizing to waka and lulu and um just really it's a long dialogue scene it's mm. a really long moment and then she gets to Titus, who this is the part where it became really apparent that they were like oh right you could name this character whatever you right. want so we have to not say a name so she just refers to him as the star player of the xanarkin names which or, is very funny yeah um but she kind of says like she's glad they met and she's like this is what it feels like huh it's wonderful and it hurts a little too and uh right as she's trying to like put it together and really say what she's feeling that's when we the player titas interrupt her and so now we know why she was sitting out there on that cliff Mm -hmm. at at mehan and as we walk up and through the ruins and just silence and we're seeing all these ruins and this big panning camera shot and we get to the bottom and we're back at the beginning because it's Mm -hmm. playing the scene i mean the way it just it fades to black and then you hear the piano notes kick in and it fades up to the sword the rod and the blitz ball stuck in the ground with xanarkin and the pyreflies out behind it and it's the exact same scene that played at the opening again Mm -hmm. all the way up to this is our story uh, this may be our last chance. Like mm. it hits like a truck. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, was, I was glad that they didn't like abridge that and like made you fit the whole thing again because mm. they could have just like skipped to the end of it. And mm-hmm. I, I was glad that they made you kind of like fit through that entire like reframing of like, like the, you know, of the framing device, which mm-hmm. takes into the term because they, they, it shifts to like later that night. And you realize that like, this entire game you've been living, like, you know, Titus has been narrating it, but, like, they have all been recounting all these stories together at the fire. And, mm-hmm. um, it gets to that point where, like, Titus is kind of, like, 
oh, there's gotta be something else that we forgot to mention and something, and then you can you can feel that he's trying to like stall a little bit, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then Yuna just kind of stands up and it's like, I feel, I think we should stop. I think we should go. And it's, I I think one of the most effective things is the first time you see that cutscene. Um, you know, it, it's hard for me to remember exactly what I felt the first time I saw it, but I remember just seeing all of them kind of sitting around and being like, oh, cool, this is the party. Like, this is this is how the story is going to begin. And then, obviously, you realize it's in media res and, and you're going to catch up to it at some point because you then go into all the stuff with Tidus and Xanarkand and going to Spira and all that. And when you've caught up here, you can see just how tired and worn mm-hmm. and exhausted everyone is like there's this quiet like none of them are talking it's not jovial it's not a party where they're all eating around a fire and laughing and joking like everyone's just kind of in their own world about their stuff and even i love the little touch of titus as he's getting up like putting a hand on Yuna's mm-hmm. shoulder and you know at the beginning we're kind of like oh you know they're gonna be in love and all that that's that's it's the mm-hmm. romance and here now we're like oh mm-hmm. this has such darker undertones and mm-hmm. especially coming right off the part where we are hearing Yuna leave goodbye messages, knowing that she's walking to her death and all that. Like mm-hmm. it's such just a one, two whammy of this is what this game is about. Mm-hmm. Surprise. And it, it it's taking us right. I mean, I, it felt weird stopping where I stopped. Mm-hmm. playing because now we have this massive forward momentum into Xanarkins where yeah. we're we're not only just going into Xanarkin for the first time like like modern Xanarkin not Titus's Xanarkins but this is the end of the line this is mm-hmm. where we get the final summoning this is where we get our questions answered this is where everything comes to a head. This is the end of the pilgrimage, the thing that we've been building up to the whole time. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it just slams. And I, there's, there's something about just the way that music coalesces and all this too, that mm-hmm. there are so many times in this game where I'll hear certain songs play and I'll be like, Oh, this is the, the saxophone one that plays. Uh, it plays again. I think when we're leaving Gagazette, and it's like that really soft, almost cowboy bebop style tune where it's just a saxophone. And the scene I remember it most for is when it plays at the end of Operation Mien and you're mm. kind of walking around in the wake of all the sin destruction. But it plays again here and it works so well. And then obviously to Xanarkind, the, the piano theme works so well. The the hymn of the faith works so well. And everything about this is just this was this was square like just coming out and saying like this is the rpg we're going to make on the playstation 2 and Mm -hmm. it's it's a good ass rpg (laughs) like multiple times throughout us in the season i've been like holy shit they made this like one in the first year of the playstation 2 Mm -hmm. like you know from a like from a technical standpoint but also just like a conceptual broadly like yeah like conceptually and it's i don't know like i like even in, in my head right now, I'm, I hear the fleeting dream music that plays as we're walking, like as you're walking through Xanarkin. Like they, mm-hmm. I mean, not to get to, not to skip to next episode, but like that that like you're saying that sense of forward momentum and like that is not even like it's not even that you're being pushed forward per se, but it's like this slow walk that you're all having to just kind of like drag yourself through because like even though Yuna is like I think we should go now, like it's there's no eagerness here, there's no 
Mm-hmm. Like, there's a, a drive and a necessity to it, but it is... Everyone's going to be dragging their feet for a bit. Mm-hmm. It's... Oh, it's a lot. And we're going to have to unpack even more next week. When mm. Don't worry. As far as we know, as far as our schedule, ne- next episode of, of Final Fantasy X, we will have, I believe, a guest. I believe we have one lined up. You know, mm. fingers crossed that nothing changes between now and then. We have had it happen before, but that will, I think, also be our last guest episode mm-hmm. uh, of the season because we only have three episodes left after this. We have uh, the Xanarkand episode and then a side questing episode where we will kind of cover some of the the side stuff that you can hit up in this game like you know remium temple uh anima uh, a lot of the other stuff that you could just run by and miss uh that'll be a fun little episode for ken and i to go through the 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 little details that we will be able to get to once we acquire a certain thing in this game and then it's off to the finale and that'll be at the end of not even the end, the middle of January of next yep. year. So it'll be 2022 when we finish it, but 2022 ain't even that far off. So we're almost there. Ken, can we you are. believe it? Got to start planning for what's after. Yeah. 10 is coming up and do, all right, so for, for the listeners at home and also for my own uh, sense. So it'll be, we'll be doing 10 and then, uh, is there any stuff we do in between 10 and 10 too? Cause I believe uh, there are audio dramas and stuff, yeah, but those come after. Yeah. The, uh, the one thing I know like off the top of my head that we're gonna be doing is the, uh, the eternal calm, like short film, mm-hmm. um, that takes place between 10 and 10 too. Um, okay. and that's, that's fairly short, but it's like a direct lead in to 10 too. And the, the things that make, I guess, make it interesting are the circumstances of its development and release. Um, mm-hmm. as far as I know, at least off the top of my head, that's the only thing that's going to be between the two actual games. All of, most of the, um, extended media and such is after 10 Okay. Yeah. And, and for, for the folks at home, you know, as we kind of go through this, so we will, if, if you have bought the version of 10, 10, HD that is out there, that is, that has 10, that has 10, two, and that has eternal calm. Mm-hmm. So all three Which of those. Which you can also there. find on YouTube, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and then are we also playing the, the YRP dungeon crawling mystery dungeon game as well? Is that, uh, part I mean, of... I would like to, but there are going to be a few things I think in 10, two and it's like extended stuff, especially that is both like really time consuming and challenging. So we might just like, try it out mechanically for a bit and then watch it on YouTube just to like get a sense of how it's all going. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll yeah. address that when we get there for those yeah. of you who are, who are playing along and all that, uh, because we also, you know, it's, it's up to y'all how much you want to play uh, or if you're just listening to us to get a recap or if you're just listening to us to, to hear the gameplay out. We know that some of y'all like to listen as just kind of a way to have a sort of book club, uh, an audio let's play, if you will. And so we try to serve that purpose as well. So, uh, but this is, I think structure wise, let's say our most ambitious undertaking yet <laughs> in terms of once we get to tend to the way that game kind of, uh, branches out is very different from what we've had to tackle before. It's going to, in some ways be similar structure wise to say a mass effect two or a mass effect three, but we're going to have to just very carefully plot things out. So that way mm-hmm. we have the right paths that we want to take to make sure that we're not missing content, but also uh, it's making me appreciate that we're taking a little bit more time to play 
mm-hmm. sections for each of these because wowza these games <laughs> but that'll all be coming up in the meanwhile we are normandy fm we do have a patreon patreon.com slash normandy fm where you can contribute any amount gets you into the backer discord where we post images memes and talk about our playthroughs also at the next level up you will get these episodes as soon as ken is done editing them on the patreon feed and at the highest level we will shout your name out every week on the podcast live and this week that list is just the wedge of destiny mercedes cluis Clueless, sorry, <laughs> Meredith and Micah Mante. Thank you so much for contributing and helping keep things going here. Y'all rule. Thank you a ton. And I mean, looking ahead, uh, you know, we've only got those those episodes left uh, and we're coming up on the holiday season. So I hope y'all are doing well as you head to the holidays. You know, this is this is the time of the year when I always think about how long it's been since we started this thing because we are now past another year of Normandy FM mm-hmm. and I like to think fondly on the holidays so hopefully y'all are having some good holidays or if you're not and you don't like your family you know at least listen to us right here on normandy fm